Hi, this is Paul Friedman, and we've got a great show for you. This is about all about marriage, all about marriage in a very positive way. And my co-host, David Cruz, and I are going to entertain some of your questions. David, are you there? I'm here, Paul. Exciting to be a part of this. So, David, it's uh, good to have you on board. And so the topic today, what does a husband want from his wife? What does a wife want from her husband? You've been married for a while. Uh, I'm sure you have a couple of comments to throw in there. Yeah, what do you think is a good question to to start off with? Well, I I think that um, I still think men are different than women, and and each one of them wants something a little bit different from each other to make to make the relationship worth. So I'm, I I you know I kind of like to know from you, Paul. What do you think? Do you think that what men want from women is pretty much the same as what women want from men, or do you see a, a pretty big difference between what each one of them wants from each other? You know, David, I am thrilled that you asked that question because there is in the world today so much dis slash misinformation as a result of Western psychology and political correctness. And they have us believing that men and women are the same. That is utter nonsense. Uh, we all know from our own experiences, no one has to tell us that a woman's reaction will typically be much more emotionally packed than a man's reaction to virtually anything. So the answer to your question is no, not at all the same. But I will say this, be before you ask your next question, I will say this, and this is really important. Men need to understand their wives without being critical of them. And same thing for women, they need to understand their husbands without getting frustrated because they're not communicating them in a normal, from their point of view, a normal way. Well, Paul, you said, you said emotional, that women are more emotional. So does that mean that the, that the guy has to kind of connect to that emotional level difference between them, try to understand it better? I, mean, I just think of myself and, you know, I'm, I don't react. I, I, I don't think I react from an emotional level. But if I need to know that my wife reacts from that place, then, you know, how do you recognize it and what do you do with that? Okay. So, um, people, you may think that I have fed David these questions because they're so good, but it's not the case. When we're married, we learn the hard way, the surface stuff. And because we have not been educated growing up, we don't know what to do. And so, David, your question is right on. And there are layers to the answer, very important layers. So, yes, when your wife is fr feeling frustrated with something or confused about something or just needing to make sure that you're on board with her, then you're going to experience the outermost responses that she has, which will be emotional, but it doesn't minimize what's going on for her. What's going on for her is super important. And as being the husband, it's your job. It's your job. It's your job to understand what's driving it. You don't have to jump into the emotional outer stuff. Don't do that. Because then both of you will just be floating around, thrashing about in quicksand. So does that mean, you, does that mean Paul, that you don't pay attention to what they say, but try to pay attention more to the emotion that they're giving you? I'm not following well, that. Okay, good. So let's create an imaginary scenario where she explodes about something. And in your mind, it's just not that big a deal. And so you have to let her know that you love her. And it's not a big deal to say, honey, I love you. And let me try to understand this better. And don't suggest that the way she's communicating isn't working. Because for her, it's how she's communicating. Instead, say, what I think you're 
saying about this is really important. You have to validate. And then you say, now, I want you to express it a little bit more, a little deeper so I can get it. And that gives her a channel of communication where she can then, and ladies, are you paying attention to this, where you can then start narrowing down sort of the range of emotions so that the topic, which is buried under these emotions, isn't lost, but it's starting to find a way of being expressed that is allowing your husband to hear you. Well, Paul, if the emotion, if there's a more emotional side coming from a woman, then there's, I'm assuming that it means that there's a less emotional side coming from the male because we are different from each other. Correct? Yes. Yes. Then she react differently to us. As, I mean, I, because we're coming from a from a less emotional side. How do we connect to that more emotional side to them? We don't connect to the emotional side of them. This is one of the great oh. fallacies that's going on. We don't it, it we don't want to operate outside of our own nature and we should not expect our spouse to operate out of their own nature. It's all about understanding with love and compassion. Let's take this a step back if you will. Okay. Let's take a look at what marriage is really all about. I mean, I know this is a big leap, but I think it's an important leap. Why did you get married in the first place? You know, I, when I used to work with people way back, I used to work with people live, and I did a little experiment. I asked everybody, why did you get married? And the first response was, oh, you know, I found my soulmate. Oh, I wanted to have children. Oh, da-da-da-da-da. And what I, I would, you know, I, I love her, and this is the one I love. Right, and I would write those up on my whiteboard. Um, I, I didn't do the Western therapeutic model because it frankly doesn't work. And I would write their answers, and I'd say, okay, these are really good answers. And my sessions weren't cheap. This is back even before the year two thousand. It was three hundred dollars for a session. And I would say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to write my answer. And if your answers are better than mine, I'm not, you don't have to pay for this session. <laughs> okay. So what That's, happened? Well, I wrote on the board. I said, you got married to be happier. And you got married to experience love. And okay. I did this experiment with about 200 people. Every one of them, except for two, there were two, I'm going to be honest, just nodded their head and said, yeah, we, we're paying for the session. <laughs> but but we, really, Paul, did they understand what you meant by experienced love? No, but they definitely understood what I meant when I said, you got married to be happier. And we lose sight of that. I'm going to take it a step further, David. What in the world have you ever done where you didn't have some kind of process or plan to accomplish what you're doing. And I'm even talking about getting in your car to go somewhere. Well, you know I mean, I mean that, that process is done kind of on autopilot. Autopilot. But I would say for most any important thing in my life, I've, I'm probably right. I've, I've had a plan. I've had an idea that I wanted to go after. I, I knew where I was going with that. Especially right. with something important. Yeah. So now going back to marriage, how many people do you think first state the objective? I want to be happier and I want to be happier every day of my life. How many people actually state that? How many people are able to articulate it? For most of us, it's only floating around in our subconscious. Paul, I, I think there's just so many other things that, you know, I'm just trying to think of what you're with what you're saying, with where I was when I was at, at the beginning of a relationship with somebody, and you're just not even thinking about that. You're just so you're just so attracted. At least in my case, you concentrate more on I'm really attracted to this person. I really like how I feel when I'm with her, um, but I you, you just don't have that. What you said that I'm I, I'm I'm getting into this because she makes me happier. 
That's right. So you may say, actually, that she makes me happier. But what is missing? And it's no one's fault that it's missing. The people who are supposed to be teaching us about marriage don't know about marriage. And so we don't learn these things. In, In fact, we don't even learn about making plans. You know about making plans because you're a businessman. And when I bring it up that even to drive a car, you had to learn how to drive the car, you never learned about achieving an objective in marriage. No one ever suggested to you, wait a minute, I want to be happy. So what do I do to make myself and my husband or my wife happier. We don't have any kind of notion, much less a plan, about doing that. And that's where things fall apart. So, going back to the emotion thing, remember, you want your husband to be happier. That should always be in the background of your mind. What can I say? What can I do? What can I do physically? What message can I send that's going to bring them comfort, meaning make them happier? What's going to help them? And you're not their teacher, so you're not going to help them as a teacher. You're going to help them as their best friend. What can I do to help my wife, in this case, get past the emotions and feel comfort and trust herself that her opinions are fine and the emotions are in the way of her making a good decision. Well, you it's interesting. I I mean, I love what you're saying, Paul, and you took an interesting jump there um, that you said that you get into marriage to make your, to, to be happier, but yet you just used your examples to make her happier, that that was your goal. So where's the connection? Where's the connection come from with that? <laughs> this is a very deep question, David. And I love deep questions, as you know. <laughs> um, so another thing that is missing in societal education, let's call it societal education or miseducation, is that happiness comes primarily from material prosperity slash success right? If you go to school, you get great grades, you get a slap on the back, you get noticed for your accomplishments. When you get older, you get a great job, and that's your success. And you get a car, you get a nice home maybe, or a good apartment. Uh, And it's all material, isn't it? Well, I think the material thing is what you think that you've achieved something because you've gotten something material from what you've endeavored to do. That's right. So you see, you see that you see the connection between the two, but there's absolutely no teaching whatsoever your entire childhood about what brings that recognition of, of achieving something from being in a good marriage or making your partner happy. Right. So now what I wanted to do was sort of present a contrast because what is missing in our education, ironically, is the most important thing for all of us, the thing that we need the most. But before I get into that, let me just talk a little bit about the Marriage Foundation because let's face it, Uh, they're sponsoring us, and they're the ones who are carrying all the teachings that I've discovered. You know, I used to be a divorce mediator, and I got into helping people with their marriages and discovered that there's a whole lot of things, not only that are missing, but that are misspoken about by the Western psychological community, and even by the uh, what I consider the better teachers, the clergy and whatnot, Uh, They don't understand marriage either. So the Marriage Foundation is a wonderful depository for books. Uh, There's a course for men. There's a course for women. There's a free counseling service. And again, you could go to themarriagefoundation.org and 
up on the top, you could ask a counselor and get some guidance. And it's a free service because the Marriage Foundation is a nonprofit. Now, going back to this topic of what is the thing that is missing the most in our society in terms of education, I'm going to illustrate it first. Tell me if this isn't true. The greatest feelings, the greatest experience of happiness that you've ever had has been, for example, when you're watching your kids asleep, right? (laughs) Can you recall that? And your heart just fills with love. And there is nothing to compare with that. The same thing happens when you're with your husband or with your wife and you have that moment of connection. And bam, your mind cannot wrap around it. It's too big. There there used to be an old expression that my art teacher, Miss Marinaccio, used to say. She said, it's bigger than the both of us. Well, love is bigger than all of us, materially. It is a tangible, the most tangible experience we ever have, but it's spiritual because you can't smell it, taste it. You you can't define it in material terms. So it is, by definition, spiritual. And in our society, we move away from these spiritual ideas because we don't want some religion pushed down our throat. And so society has said, no, no, we're not going to talk about love. Unless you go, you know, on your anniversary, then you go to the card rack and, oh, I love you, Hallmark's done a great job with it and other card companies, but we don't understand what love is. And yet it is the most important thing for all of us in our lives, for all of us. And so one of the mechanical aspects of love is that as you give it, you feel it moving through you. This is a very profound truth that by the act of giving love is when you experience love. In fact, you can't experience love from someone else because the mind has all of these filters. And and out of fear, which is a driving force, we're not able to experience the love of another. But wait, wait, wait. We, can I, I, I got to stop you there, Paul, just a second, because I do, I tell me where I'm going wrong with this, because I can feel my wife's love for me. I, 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 I just know that she loves me and there's certain things that she'll do that I just go, I, this woman just loves me I, and I know it and I feel it. So where, where does that fit here? Okay, so that's very beautiful, and you recognize it and you know it, and the way you know it is through the repetition, the experiences that you have of her expressions of love. Right. However, however, because aren't you saying that's what you want to do? You want to give that feeling to your wife so that she feels that from you, right? Yes, but... And this is important. And you need to illustrate it for yourself. When you're giving her love, the feeling of love is far stronger than when you're receiving the love, because when you're receiving it, it has to go through your sensory apparatus that is really filtering that feeling that you have in your heart. When you're giving her love, okay. So, so I I will walk in on I will walk in on my wife, you know, when she's still sleeping in the morning, and I'll look at her, and and I I experience that feeling that you're talking about. Yes, I mean, I just feel I could feel that love, and she's doing absolutely nothing. She's literally just sleeping, curled up in bed, and I look at her and I feel it. Yes. Isn't it so beautiful? That, yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's it it is it's it is incredible. Um, yes, that's when that's when I know how I 
I, that's when I know how I fe- definitely feel about her and how she makes me feel. Yes. I mean, it's really, and I can't describe it. I, obviously, okay. I'm not doing well d- describing it right now, but it is, um, yeah, that is exactly what you're talking about here, I yep. think. Actually, you did as good a job describing it as I've ever heard. You can't describe something that is spiritual adequately with words, because words are in the material realm. I don't mean to get too deep here, but the point is that the experience of love is immeasurably greater in the act of the gift of love. And once we know that, then we can do something about it. We can choose to express love more and more and avoid like the plague anything that is not an expression of love. And by doing... Okay. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. I keep interrupting you. But does that kind of go back to where where we kind of started with this, with emotional, that if if we see that, that our wife is more on the emotional side with something that that's where we go here. We go to, we go to express our love for her. David, exactly. David, exactly. What you're doing when you do that is you are transcending, you're rising above the surface communications, even within her mind, because emotions are a surface communication within the mind. And it is a huge distraction. You know, and I don't, I'm not getting religious here. This is not my intention. But again, one of the things that society hates, and and it's not all of society, obviously. Most people are receptive to God. I'm not going to talk about God, but I'm going to talk about what we are. We are souls. We're souls who have a mind. We're souls who have a body. These are our possessions. But essentially, we're souls. And so, well, look at the term soulmate. Well, that didn't just come out of thin air. It's a it reality. Of, it, I, I think it did. You're right, Paul. It probably did not come out of thin air. But it's just used so mundanely today that it, it's almost like, why am I getting married? Because I found my soulmate. And I don't think people <laughs> even think about what that means. No. Well, they don't. What they mean when they say that is, I feel like I have found the person with whom I can share the rest of my life with. And they don't even know what that means, to be honest with you. I think it's almost like they think, um, well, I found my match. So I found my soulmate. But I don't think they give a whole lot of thought to what that really means in finding a soulmate and being with that person forever. Well, so. you know, you know, society has really dumbed down anything that speaks to higher truth. You think? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is and this is a great example of undermining how it's dumbed down our happiness. Right. Be- remember, we got married. Who doesn't want to be happy? And we get married in order to be happier. And the greatest happiness that we will find is in love, not in our material accumulations, but in love. And so why shouldn't we learn the mechanics of opening up our hearts, of developing the love between us and our spouse? And that's what it's all about. Frankly, that's why I founded the Marriage Foundation. It wasn't my idea to do the Marriage Foundation. I used to speak at Second Saturday. You know, I I was a divorce mediator, and Second Saturday was an association that helped primarily women get through the process of divorce. And I had a friend. He was a a Navy SEAL in a former life, and he became a, a divorce mediator. He said, Paul, this stuff is crazy good. Come speak at, he started by inviting me to speak at Second Saturday. And then one day he said, here's a check for $1,000 and let's get this thing turned into a foundation. Let's turn this into a nonprofit and get the word out. 
I said, Robert, this is going to be a tough haul. You know, the world is educated very differently. He said, you got to start somewhere. I said, okay, I can relate well, Paul, to that. I mean, there really isn't an education for this. I mean, not there's not an education for what you're um, you're giving out here. I, I've never seen it. I mean, it's it, there's like everything on one side, and then you have this different vision light that, and I think light's the right word. You shed a light on it that's different, and it and it's just it helps. It just helps. It works. Thank so. you, thank you. I I feel very good about it. Uh, there's a there's a lot of people, you know, over the years now, uh, many thousands of people have been able to not just save their marriage. You know, I've met the people who have just saved their marriage. They have found the rare good marriage counselor who gives them some tools to, in my opinion, endure not just their spouse, but their own stuff. And they get through it and they have a decent marriage. And I go, I don't, I'm not in favor of decent marriages. I'm in favor of phenomenal marriages. I think that marriage, I know that marriage is the most amazing vehicle offered to everyday human beings. It is an amazing vehicle of love and happiness. But you got to know how to work it. Paul, if it's such an amazing vehicle for so many people, and I, and I do think it is, then why the statistics today? You have 50%, what is it, 50, 51, 52% of all people who get married get divorced? Yeah. Right? Isn't right? that so sad? And, okay. But take that statistic as being a real statistic because they can measure it. But how many people are in that are left still being married are in unhappy marriages or marriages that aren't fulfilling? Yep. I agree with you. I know. Is it a, is it another fifty percent? Is it another? <laughs> I mean, the numbers get to be pretty staggering, of how many people aren't getting what they want out of their marriage, and yet it is. I can't think of anything more important in your life. Exactly. Than that. Exactly. So exactly. how is it that how is it that it that it's so everybody gets it so wrong that is doing it so poorly or so misconnected that it's just, it doesn't work for them because everyone goes into this with the right expectation that it's going to work for them. Yes and no. I I think what happens is, and, uh, you know, what, one of the uh, uh, key people at the Marriage Foundation and I went to a show, we, we started a, a new project and it's called um, Premarital education. And because I wanted to give people a chance. And and we went to a show, a wedding show. And we were talking to a lot of the vendors and told them what we were up to, that we wanted to help people with premarital education. And they just, all of them were very excited about the prospect and talked about their experiences. And what people do before they get married is all about planning their wedding. And, and, we, and which is, I mean, you should plan your wedding, right? But the idea is, and it's always blown my mind, that the wedding day is the happiest day in the life of the bride. Not the happiest day so far, the happiest day. So, you know, my mind works a little bit mathematically and I go, okay, so what you're telling me is it's all downhill from here. Well, Paul, <laughs> if you, if you, if you watch like the, the, one of the main shows on, I, I, I wouldn't call it marriages, but one, one of the main shows on TV was, has always been say yes to the dress. I can't remember the exact name of that TV show, but it's about the bride that goes through the process of picking out her dress and they have their friends and their mother there. And it's, it's a very, it's an interesting show and it captivates you, but it shows how much the wedding itself and what dress you wear is so key important to that person. And yet I watched that show. I've watched that show with my, um, with our daughter 
And she likes it. And I go, well, what about the rest of the marriage? What about the right. rest? You know, it, it's so it's all focused on that day. It's all focused on the wedding day. Sure. And, and you know, this is good for those who are in business. It's just not so good for the bride and the groom. But, but I where's just the, where's the show that you the, where's the show on how to be married? Where's the show on <laughs> <laughs> way back when I first started teaching therapists, uh, marriage therapists about this process? I met with oh probably twenty five who who were already vetted and ended up with thirteen. And there was one particular therapist. His name was Dr. Paul Hagenberger. And when I met with him, uh, the first thing I did was gave him a copy of my book, Breaking the Cycle. And he read it. It's a great book. He read it. Yeah, if you look at the reviews, people tend to relate to it. Um, I think there's one person, and I kick their dog by mistake, and they always put in something negative. But other than that, people get a lot from it. And he said, Paul, this, this is exactly what I do. I educate my clients. And I said, well, great, Paul, then you don't need the Marriage Foundation. He said, no, no, I want to be part of this. He said, this is missing. And he was also a professor. He taught psychotherapy. He said, you know, I want my students, before they become screwed up, (laughs) those are his words, before they become screwed up, I want them to learn about this because marriage is all about education. And this is the problem. This is why there's such a high divorce rate. So a lot of people have tried to address this. And they've said, okay, let's start educating people. That's what premarital education is all about. I mean, society isn't mean. They're just, they just don't know what to do. But the problem is that the owner, you might say, of marriage as a thing is Western psychology. And Western psychology is about identifying problems. So you're going into your marriage looking for problems when you should be going into your marriage looking for, okay, how do I take it from this 10 level of love that we had before we started shopping for the right dress. And how do I keep that at a 10? How do I take it to a 20, to a 30, to a 100? Because my thinking and what we've proven over the years is that there are mechanical aspects to the marriage. There's things you have to learn, but there's mechanical things, meaning there's things you can do that will not just keep the life, the love alive, but will raise it up. You know, love, we were talking about how it's spiritual before. One of the things about love that our mind cannot wrap around is that it's infinite in nature. It has no end, has no beginning. And so we should have an expectation that the love that we are feeling for our husband or wife, has no end. It keeps growing. And I know you have that with your wife. I have it with mine. And there's thousands of people who have taken the course who have that with their spouse because they have learned it. It's not so hard. There's an initial hump of learning how to control the mind, but then it's not so hard. And you have a marriage that is better than Disneyland. I mean, every day, it just gets better and better and better. And, okay, I'm getting carried away. No, no, it's, it's a really good <laughs> point, Paul. I, I, um, I just want to come back to something that you said, that um, Western psychology, you know, one of the things that I've seen from Western psychology when they talk about marriages is that it's good to it's good for your marriage if you argue. It's good because you're not bottling things up. You're getting it out. And having an argument on, on a regular basis is a really good thing because you're not holding things inside. Oh, my that's God. Be, that, that's Western psychology. Arguments yeah. are – and I've, I've heard it from a number of people. Arguments are really good for a marriage. What do you think about that? Um, the word insane comes to mind. Uh, that's like saying, you know, 
you like good food? Well, it's good to taste some crap food every once in a while. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. Um, arguing has become accepted. And, Go ahead. And we have people write into us all the time. And they go, we don't know how to argue well. And the, right, and the, how do you argue? Yeah. And the counselors write back and they go, no, no, you should stop arguing altogether. And we've had some people come back and they say, well, then what do you talk about? And it's like, we've, we've been trained to be stupid. It's like... You, well, what about this, this whole notion of you have to get this out of your system? And if you don't, like, don't get, don't go to bed angry. So you, you just think, oh, I better get into an argument here at around seven o'clock at night so that I have enough time to finish the argument before I go to sleep. Well, I don't know about you, David, but when I go to bed with my wife, I don't want there to, be, I don't want there to, to start out with an argument. No, um, you don't. But, but that, there's that notion that's kind of taught that arguments are good. You want to get out of your system. You don't want to go to sleep at night and get up in the morning, up in the morning and think about something. You have to get it out of your system. Well, I know, you know I, it's going to start an argument. I, I know I look like I'm in my late 20s, right? Okay. Oh, you do. <laughs> but, but I was around in the 60s. And that's when this notion came into Western psychological thinking that if you bottle it up, somehow you will explode. And so uh, the response in the 60s was drumming, uh, venting, and that kind of release. And I think it ties to this misconception about sex, too, that, you know, you should be going for the release, which that's what animals do. I guess it's I, great. I get that. But, but I also, th you know, I, I think of that, that, ther that group therapy group that's sitting in that sitting in a circle and the 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 western psychologist goes okay we're going to go around the room and each one of you tell what's what what's really upsetting you about your spouse isn't it sad isn't it sad could you imagine i mean let's look at this from a very practical point of view so you marry someone one of the guiding principles in marriage is irrefutable it's loyalty right even even the law recognizes that you can't testify against your spouse. Loyalty is one of the guiding principles of marriage. Hard to argue. And here, you're about to reveal something about your spouse that in is negative. Yeah, to a group. In a group. In a whole of group. Strangers. Of strangers. Of strangers. Yeah. I, it's demonic. It's insane. <laughs> I can't even imagine who came up with this crazy idea. Well, because no, because Paul, you know, and I've heard you talk about this, and I'd like you to talk about it a little bit here again. You've talked about how your your marriage is in a protective shell, and I, I I know you can say this better than I can, and that you don't you don't spill that out to, well, you say it better than I. But tell me, go into how you feel about that. Okay, so I coined this phrase in my imaginative moment. I don't have many of them. And I call your marriage the sacred space of marriage. Because for me, it's, it's you know, what do I think of as sacred? I mean, when I walk into a church, I, I remember going to the Sistine Chapel in, in Italy or, or going into one of these synagogues in Israel, and I always start speaking more quietly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, and I'm very careful and I, I'm even watching my thoughts, right. and right. I am making my mind respectful of this space, because it's a sacred space. Right. So right. why not have the same attitude towards your spouse? Why not recognize the sacredness of it? Because what are you searching for when you belong to a religion Guess what? It's the same thing. Love. You want to have that feeling of connection, of love with your so maker. You but so you, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. No, go ahead. So you don't go out to the bars with your friends and have a couple of beers and start talking about what bothers you about your spouse. 
It's terrible to do that. In fact, when I used to work with couples and individuals, it was not uncommon for, I remember one case in particular, a very wealthy couple, as a matter of fact, and um, he was having an affair with her best friend. Well, guess, guess how that began. That began with her telling her best friend about his flaws. And her best friend thinking, well, I don't think those are such bad flaws. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's not so uncommon. Yeah, but isn't it common for people to talk about their spouse to, I mean, some of them talk about it to their children. Some of them talk about it to their friends. Some of them talk about it to their parents. You know, um, um, and and, and, and guys will talk about it to other guys. I've seen that. Many times where I'm in, you know, I'm I'm in a social situation with somebody, and he's bringing something up about his wife that ticks him off, or he doesn't like. Yeah, I, I have to say, and I'm, I'm sure there has been no studies on this, but just from my observation, that men are less likely to put down their wives than wives likely to put down their husbands, and. A lot of that has to do with just the nature of a man and the nature of a woman. And like you pointed out way in the beginning, there's humongous differences. And women bond differently than men. Men, you know, go out hunting or, or go on a... Go out drinking or, or go or out... Play, play pool. And, pool or whatever it is, yeah. And, you know, it's mostly banter and laughing at things outside of ourselves because men keep things inside where women kind of merge with one another and so they bring up strings of ideas and things and 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 they bond better than men they do women are much better at bonding with each other than and men you think that you think that yeah, talking about each of them talking about their spouse their husband helps them bond better to each other in the process it doesn't but they've been trained to think it does uh, and again, this—I uh, don't know where it's done. Or, or they're or they're trained not to know how destructive that can be. That's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, I think it's a—I think it's a betrayal. I think if my wife talked badly about me in any way, shape, or form to anybody else, that I'd feel like that was a betrayal of. Ladies, pay attention to this. This this is the truth. You know, women write in about their husbands. And we get a lot of infidelity uh, cases where the uh, use of the course for women is usually the solution. Because women are just, they're just so, they feel like their world has been pulled out from under their feet. And and they have, because their husband, he's either um, interacting with these porn advertisements and these uh, robots and all that, or he's actually started an emotional affair. In many cases, he's already cheating on his wife. And the ladies who write in, and bless their souls, I mean, it's I can't even imagine uh, how painful it is for them. I've seen it. Uh, it's like their hearts are being crushed in their hand. And they don't know what to do, but some of them are very angry. They're very angry towards their husband, which is a great indicator that they have missed the point of what betrayal means. And we're, we're in the unfortunate position at the Marriage Foundation because we never blow smoke. And we say, look, your husband would never have, never have looked, much less acted upon his thoughts, if he was feeling the love that he thought he was going to get when he got married. So, no, it's not your fault, because nobody taught you. But that is the cause and effect that's taking place. So the first betrayal was from his point of view, where he felt, not consciously necessarily, and usually not, but he felt betrayed because when he signed up for marrying you, 
It's for the same reason you signed up for marrying him. You wanted to be happier. And for sure, your marriage wasn't happier when he started looking. And he wanted to experience marital love, which is slash unconditional love, which is so all-encompassing that when you're experiencing that love, although you may have a random thought, you'll never follow up on it because you already have everything you could possibly want. You know, when I was growing up, and I grew up in an age when people started cheating um, because the advent of the pill and, you know, the openness, and a lot of this goes back to the women's lib movement, unfortunately, and their response to men. I think cheating may have happened a little earlier than that. But, uh... <laughs> but not as rampant. But not as rampant. I, I, yeah, I think it probably became more, it certainly became more visible. No, it became that, more and, rampant. And, and, and more accepted. That's it. It became accepted and rampant. And why? Because of Hollywood. Thank you, Hollywood, for polluting our minds. But when I would talk, and I grew up in a Jewish family where um, divorce was more frowned upon and you know what, I would ask an uncle or, or something, you know, because I'd see something on TV or in a movie and I'd say, have you ever cheated? He goes, no, I eat well at home. And that, that, was, that was like a Jewish way of expressing, I have everything I need. I'm fine. Why would I? <laughs> I mean, I'm eating well at home. Yeah, There's no why, reason to cheat. Why would I get That's a hot funny. dog when I have a buffet at home? <laughs> and, and we've lost, we've lost this idea that we should have everything we need with each other. I, I, I spend an inordinate amount of time with my wife because I want to. She treats me so well, so lovingly. She's careful, and she has told me, and, and she's not a student of the Marriage Foundation. And she told me, she said, I want to keep you. And, <laughs> Beautiful. I, you know, I get that too, Paul. Probably not as clearly as you do, but I definitely get the feeling, and the and the, the words come out from my wife too. I get that feeling. It's a wonderful feeling when you have that. Yes. Um, but I, I'm, but I do want to go back to that sacred seal that you talked about. Sacred space. Sacred space. I'm sorry. And if if you don't have that, once you break that space, it's dangerous, isn't it? So here's the good news about being a human being. We, we can, and a therapist suggests you do, Freud's whole thing was about going into the past. But I found that to be completely stupid. I can't think of a better word. Because we don't live in the past. So if you go into the past, you're holding yourself back from experiencing the future. And if you learn the mechanics of marriage, how to drive your marriage, the future of your marriage is incredible as the energy is that you put into it. Now, you have to know what you're doing, but as you do, it just gets better and better and better. So everyone has broken the sacred space of marriage, but why dwell on it? You know, this whole thing that therapists have is, well, we have to resolve this issue. No, you don't. This issue is gone. It's history. It doesn't exist anymore. But what you want to do is you want to keep climbing the mountain. Because at the top of the mountain, the view is wonderful. So, so, what, so what you're saying, Paul, is that if you do change it, if you, if you don't have to go fix everything from the past. And if you do, if, if you do get on the right path and stay there, that the results will come. That's right. You cannot fix the past. Let's be straight about this. There is no resolving the past. For one thing, when you're looking past, what you're really doing is you're only examining your own impressions of what occurred. There's no objective view of the past. We're not talking about your tire blowing out and changing a tire. We're talking about interactions and your perceptions of what took place, your how you were reacting to what occurred, how your spouse reacted to what occurred. And our whole thing is you begin the process of healing your marriage by learning how to control your own thinking. 
Because every action comes from a thought, unless it's short-circuited, in which case it's an instinctive reaction. Even those are coming from deeply embedded thoughts, habitual thoughts. So the first step is to learn how to control those. It changes the dynamics of your marriage completely, completely. You have only one way to go from this moment forward. No matter how good or bad your marriage is, you only have one way to go, and that's up, and it's under your control. And when you slip a little, let's say you're hiking on a mountain trail, you slip a little, you don't go, oh, woe is me. Let's talk about how I slipped and what happened. You may learn from your mistake why you slipped, but you keep going up. And this is what marriage is all about. It's about happiness, and it's about love, which is what causes unbelievable happiness. Okay, I just want to make a quick comment here, Paul. I kind of think, you know, when I'm listening to you say that, I'm thinking about that if I'm if if I'm on a I kind of think of it as like walking and bicycle riding that in you're you're giving somebody a you're showing somebody, well, you don't have to walk. You can actually get on the bicycle and go. And and once you know how to ride that bicycle, even if you fall off the bike here and there, at least you now know that you're on a that you can get back on the bicycle and that the bicycle works better. Is that kind of isn't it on wonderful? Track or am I- oh no, you're right on track. I mean, it is amazing because you know when I started helping marriages, virtually all of the people who came to see me had already gone to therapy and it wasn't working. So I said, well, we'll give this guy a shot. You know, he's got a good reputation. What the heck? We'll give it a shot. I have one great story. But, you know, I want to tell the story, but I also want to tell you that that's exactly right. The education is critical. And there is a lot of education to be had. I mean, you don't just read the book and you're done. But, and there's a lot of forces that are against us having a good marriage. Uh, Current thinking is against us having a good marriage. So you have to keep relearning and relearning, but you're always happy. So I just think if you you teach that person how to ride the bicycle, which your program does, it does teach you how to stay on the course of having your marriage stay in the right place. Yes. And it's simple. keeping Keeping that sacred space together. That's right. And it's simple. It's, then you know, how, you know how to get back on that bicycle, even if you get off of it. That's right. That's right. It, it's like anything else. You don't go in the car and start pounding on the steering wheel to start it. You have to learn to put the key in the ignition and turn it. And it's those kinds of things that people don't know about marriage that they need to know. But there are a lot of forces. So I, I, was, I wanted to tell this story because it really illustrates... What happened? I was meeting with this couple, and it's interesting how this couple came to me. I got a call from a lady, and she said, you know, what's going on with her, her husband and her, and her son, who's put in the middle and having to choose sides, and I'm listening. And, and I said, you know, uh, what do you do for a living? And she says, oh, I'm a psych nurse. I said, a psych nurse? Why don't you just, you must know all of the top people out there. And this was in San Diego. So the top people were the top of the top. Very, very qualified, quote unquote, people practice in San Diego. And she goes, oh, no, they're all crazy. And she started going down the list of very well-known names. And I laughed. I said, okay. So they came in and her husband was, had to be the biggest guy I've ever met in my life. And I don't mean he was a big guy from eating too much. Uh, he was a construction worker who was in charge of lifting bulldozers and moving them over. Okay, not that's not true, but he was huge. And Got it. and we sat around a table. I didn't. I didn't do the. Cha- I don't do the chairs and couch thing. You know, we're discussing how to make your marriage better. And so um, I take over 
in, in these meetings. I don't let people go on and on because they're wasting their time when they do, and I want them to get their money's worth. And we're sitting around the table, and, and a, probably 15 minutes has gone by, and all of a sudden, this guy is starting to breathe like, and he's turning red, and his veins are popping, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of here? Did I say something to piss this guy off? He pounds his fist on the table, and I am shaking. I'm not a afraid guy, but I'm scared. And he goes, we sat in sessions for three months, three months, and we have just learned more in 10 minutes than we did in those three months. He was pissed at the therapist. Right. And, and I went, Phew. and <laughs> And we went on. But it just shows they don't know what they're doing. It's so sad. Yeah, you know, Paul, I knew you when you were doing that, and and I do remember how many times you say to me that the people would come in and expect this to be session one is well, let's get the history of what your childhood was like, and then you go to session two, and by the time you get to any issue or how to make your marriage better, you're in session ten, and you were you'd see somebody in one one visit, and it'd yeah. be over. Yeah, they they walk out going, we got it. it yep. We got it. Yep. We can make this work. Yep. We got it. At least we got something. And why did it take so long with everybody else? Right. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. I remember it. It's 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 kind of a, a sad state of affairs out there. And, you know, people go to our YouTube channel and they watch the YouTube videos. And, and uh, you know, I, I could always tell when there's a therapist putting in a comment it's very derogatory. They call me names and uh, st stupid comments. But a lot of the people are going, God, you know, you, uh, <laughs> I saw one comment yesterday. He wrote the red pill or she wrote the red pill, referring back to the matrix. This is reality. And, and that's what it's all about. This is the truth. You know, if you cannot back up what you're saying about what someone should do, then you don't know what you're doing. And everything that we talk about at the Marriage Foundation, everything that we promote, you can back up. All of it is based on universal, irrefutable principles. But they're not material principles. Most of them are spiritual principles. Even loyalty is a spiritual principle. Why should you be loyal? It's spiritual. So we have a lot of successes. And you know, speaking about those YouTube videos, it's a good way to start learning about marriage. And for some people, it's all they need. A lot of people go from there to one of the books, and uh, more people go to the course either for men or for women. And they make their marriages phenomenal. Your marriage should be phenomenal. And I tell people, your expectation of your marriage should be phenomenal, unbelievable. I can't believe how happy I am. That should be your expectation. People come to us, I want to save my marriage. I still love my husband. No, don't just save your marriage. Expect your marriage to be phenomenal. And we deliver. And, and that's the good news. Well, Paul, I just want to say one last thing. I've known okay. you for a long time. And I know, I just know that what you want is to help people. That's right. This, this is where you come from. This is, and I, I'm not saying it to help sell your program at all. I've known where you've come from and where your motivation is in this. And it has always been from the, at the, from the very basic, I just want to help people. I want to make a difference in people's lives. And it's not just something that you say, it's something that you live. I've seen it where you do it. Yes, you have the videos. I've seen you. Um, I've seen I've written I've seen what you've written. I've seen your whole program. But I've also seen you sitting at Starbucks um having a coffee and some stranger will come up and start talking to you and you're you're just as into them to help them as in anything else. I, I know that's where your motivation comes from. So um 
Thank you, David. Just thought I'd pass that on. Okay. David, I got to tell you, this has been a blast for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been fun. So thank you all for joining in again. If you'd like to write in a question, go to themarriagefoundation.org and go to the top, ask a counselor, and let them know you want it to be uh, in the podcast. Or you could call, uh, maybe we'll be set up in the future where we could actually play back your question, because that that would be very exciting. And the phone number for that is... uh, 1-855-527-5863. One more time. Okay, 1-855-527-5863. Okay. Okay. So uh, that's it. Thank you for joining the Marriage Foundation with our marriage podcast, and we'll see you next time. Take care.